0: Uh, Again, I I think it's, it is necessary to both the plot and the story uh, that she fucks a fish man.
1: Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the only movie reviews podcast that refuses to make Morbius jokes. With no, me today, Keith Foster uh, from San Diego, California.
0: Uh, you are Cassidy Robinson, and you are recording from an undisclosed location in the Rocky Mountains, and speak for yourself, because it's
1: Morbin time. I'm so over it. I was over it before it began.
0: Oh, I love it. I think it's great. I love that the internet just collectively decided with this movie, nah, fuck you.
1: But I don't understand why. Like I don't I mean I, I think it's probably a combination of the fact that there's like generally superhero fatigue, so people sort of root for when they don't work. And uh Jared Leto hate.
0: I, I think a big part of it's Jared Leto hate, and I don't think it's superhero fatigue, uh I don't know if that's as much of a thing as some people might think it is. I think it's more of like, at this point, don't come up with middling crap. The superhero game has been so, so strong for so long that something like Morbius would have, sure, it probably would have done decent in like 2005, 2004, right?
1: No, but I'm actually convinced there was no way Morbius was ever going to be successful unless he had appeared in something previously, um, like he had been the villain in a Blade movie, and then they spun him off, but, which would be the way to I, do it then, if you were I mean, going like, to do it.
0: Well, like Elektra did really poorly, and it was a spinoff of Daredevil, which I think did all right. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just saying I think it probably wouldn't have been... It wouldn't have been such a joke if it had come out then. It just would have been like, eh, all right, Morbius, whatever. But I don't know. I
1: love it. Keep them coming. I, I think it is like the lamest of boomer humor. But, you know, have at it. I will not uh, dissuade the anti-Morbius trend, but I will also not be participating. Okay. I've been around the block, and so have you. Like, why is this yeah. any different than Jonah Hex or...
0: I think or like that's the, what I'm saying. Is, the is,
1: Ghost Rider movies or... Like, there's been, like, 100,000 of these. Like, for every, like, great Marvel movie that everyone loves, there's one of these shitty ones that everyone forgot happened.
0: Yeah. I appreciate that there's an audience just heckling the hell out of it. Like, it, it you know, here's the thing. I... Neither of us have seen it. I am sure it is not as bad as I would want it to be. And it's (laughs) definitely not good. Uh, So I'm sure it's just kind of meh. I'm sure it's probably just pretty plain
1: Jane, boring, blah. So why not have fun with it? I mean, you know, whatever. You you can have fun with whatever you want to have fun with. I just think it's... it's I think it's a little bit of low-hanging fruit, if you ask me. Uh, Well, why don't you just make
0: fun of the *Downton Abbey* sequel then?
1: I think that's more creative. All right,
0: whatever, man.
1: (laughs) On this particular podcast episode, we are going to be talking about movies. (laughs) We didn't completely lose everybody. (laughs) I think we did. We're going to be reviewing Alex Garland's *Men* as our streaming homework. We are also going to talk about uh the 2015 film Tangerine which is streaming on Netflix right now. I believe it's also on Tubi. I think you can pretty much watch it on everything when I when I was last looking at uh where it's available. But it's it's pretty accessible at the moment. But before we get into that for our pre-review segment, I did want to prep us for a game or a list.
0: Yeah, you you wanted to join the discourse.
1: So, we talked a few weeks ago about attitudes, modern attitudes towards um, violence in movies in particular, or scares and things like that, what should be PG, what should be PG-13, what should be R, etc., so on, you can go back and listen to that episode, we had that discussion. Um, this is going to be centered more on the uh, sex scenes in movies controversy, this comes up on film Twitter every so often or or just probably Reddit and places like that as well. But there seems to be this weird backlash towards sex in movies or you know sexuality in movies coming from a younger generation, like younger than us. And there's there's this idea that it's that there's no such thing as a good sex scene and that anything that's anything more than a fadeaway is unnecessary and it doesn't push the plot forward and, and et cetera and like, so on and so forth. And this, I should say, is not shared by everyone who's of like Generation Z and younger, but it is a thing that has come mm-hmm. up more than once and not by, you know, the usual Pat Robertson super conservative you know what, side of the do you know spectrum
0: do you know where i think it kind of stems from i think it's because we are the vhs generation and uh, we we all understand how uncomfortable i think most people understand uncomfortable it is to watch a sex scene with their parents sure uh, or with or with their family right so mm-hmm. i think there might be some like some weird like subconscious issues with it because you know, maybe some of us were kind of exposed to sex scenes in a way that made us feel ashamed versus, you know, just being able to kind of watch the fucking movie like we would any other scene. Right. Uh, so I think that's kind of where it stems from for my, you know, arm armchair bullshit psychology.
1: I think that's a part of it. I think it. I, I think it's a sort of a confluence of things. I think it's a. I think there's also something to be said about the way we think about, and this is probably a good thing overall, but has some weird attachments, uh, societal stigmas that unfairly get tagged along with it. But I think, in general, sort of the. Feminist awakening of the last 15 or so years and and conversations about consent and conversations about, like, exploitation and things like this are just more prevalent now. And so people are viewing sex scenes with a more critical eye than they did in the past. It's now, instead of just it being, you know, scene fodder, scene filler, it's people actually are in a position of asking whether or not it is necessary, not whether or not it's hot. That yeah. would be, the, yeah. the I, would, I would say, the best reason for why this is happening. Um, the worst reason is, again, a lot of people who are under 25 have not seen anything other than Marvel movies in the last 15 years. And so, yeah, I, I, mean, I there's, mean, there's a lot of stuff happening on television. Certainly Game of Thrones got away with a lot of weird sex.
0: Yeah, but I I mean it was also criticized for a lot of it too. Some sure. of it justifiable. Um uh you know it 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 did kind of like some of those their sex scenes weren't crafted with a lot of care. Uh uh and you know they got some flack for it. Um but yeah, I mean HBO has has long been you know unafraid to to go raunchy, to, to go... It's yeah. viewers,
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that was always part of their brand, is we, we show you things you can't watch on television, except for now, in the streaming world, everything's kind of competing with HBO as far as that goes. Um, the other other thing I think changed the game a lot is the newer generation has a lot more access to actual pornography yeah, than fair. our generation did and people older than us. Um, you know, used to be you had to like go to a store and buy a magazine and see a human being and look at them in their eyes as you pay for it shamefully.
0: Or um, find a, a box in the middle of the woods that was stashed there for generations. Right. Or, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, everybody has like a weird found porn story, I think.
1: Yeah. Or pay, or even if you, you, you pay for it on, um, on one of those extra cable networks and then have to worry about it being on your credit card bill and all of those things. Now you just pornhub.com type in your favorite keywords and go to town. And I think uh, people have younger people in particular have sort of uh, compartmentalized what is porn and what is narrative and in their brains, never the two shall meet. And because, Porn has become less narrative over time and narrative film has become less pornographic over time. And I think all of these things kind of lead to this weird trend we're seeing of of uh the no fun club. Um Yeah,
0: and I I don't think I don't think it we're ever gonna I, I don't think it's ever going to go back to like, you know, the Hayes Code or anything like that, because I think there's that genie's just too much out of the bottle already. Right. Um but Yeah, I I do think it's interesting the way mainstream movie culture specifically and and again, maybe uh, maybe it has to do with viewing a movie in a group setting, but viewing a movie in a theater versus streaming something at home, Uh, uh, you know, we're probably a little more comfortable, generally speaking, uh, uh, seeing a sex scene, you know, at home where we can kind of control the environment versus, you know, in a movie theater with some rando horny stranger right next to you.
1: Sure. (laughs) Uh, Although isn't that part of the movie going experience when it comes down to it. However, what I wanted to talk about is I wanted to talk about uh, movies in which the sex scenes are either done well, or they do have a narrative purpose or whatever for whatever reason it benefits the film more than not um so yeah yeah uh,
0: as you you phrased it to me sex scenes that are necessary sure I, I think that's that's the that's co- sort of the rallying cry is sex scenes are never necessary they never lead anything to the story they never contribute um and and you know I think a lot of times, uh, the, when people say that they are confusing story with plot, um, right. uh, because they're not necessarily the same thing, but I think, you know, there are also times when, so you said to, to come up with some, and, and I think I found a, a, a few that I can defend pretty well.
1: Great. Um, and then we also asked our listeners, uh, if they had any, and we did get a few responses. So I want to read those off the top. We don't have to comment on them um, thoroughly in case they happen to be on the list. I have list. a question
0: before we get too, too into this. Okay. Um, you did say sex scenes in movie. Are we only counting, like, actual, literal sex? Or <laughs> does masturbation count? You know what
1: I mean? Does, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Somebody else asked me this as well. Um, I count anything that is, you know, would be considered sexually explicit for a film okay a sex scene so it doesn't have to be you know uh penetration or implied actual you know sex it can be anything that is going to ping on a on a censor's radar as far as that element of the film goes okay all right so just a couple answers here Um, From people, uh, we have uh, Alice White from the Those Happy Places podcast. She said her favorite is probably Itumama Tambien. She says the sex is used to great emotional effect. Um, And that is a great answer. And then another podcast uh, called Horror Business. They responded with a few different ones. American Werewolf in London. The Terminator. And maholland drive um okay. and and a friend of the podcast Jen Anaya, said she she had kind of what you were talking about those those different different strata of what we consider you know a type of sex scene. She says I think there needs to be some categories like the slow fade camera moves away sex scene, the soft core dry humping situation, or the so real I feel awkward watching this with other people. <laughs> <laughs> And then in the DMs, we talked a little bit about it, and she wanted to mention the movie uh, Secretary, the letter sequence in the movie Secretary, and the nighttime rendezvous in But I'm a Cheerleader. Yeah, I think that those are her two main ones. And then we had a long conversation about showgirls. (laughs) Not necessarily good for the same reasons, but certainly- Yeah, yeah it is a benefit to the film going experience.
0: You <laughs> <laughs> see. I think, I think that makes it necessary. I think, uh, uh, even if it's ridiculous, even if it's yeah, not portraying sex and, in, in like sex doesn't have to be serious. That's a, that's another thing that more often than not, people... it's not
1: serious more often than not. It's, it's, incredibly awkward or funny or both yeah
0: i I mean exactly there's a but in movies it tends to be very dramatic sure uh again not not always um and for my examples i tried to think of of examples in fairly mainstream movies that weren't necessarily like built around the sex you know what i mean sure
1: yeah I mean, going off of the the uh, the showgirls conversation, I nearly put The Room, because those sex scenes are hilarious. Yeah. It is in keeping with everything that that movie is.
0: Yeah, and, and I think it does add to the movie, because especially the time it came out, mm-hmm. those scenes were probably added to try and give it more legitimacy, but made it come across more ridiculous.
1: Right, or to sell to the After Dark cable network crowd or whatever. hmm yeah. All right, so uh, we said we would mentioned two officially, and then if we have any others we can name off, we can. So what was one that you came up with?
0: Oh, God, I have so many. Uh, <laughs> I have a lot. Okay, in recent memory, uh, I'm going to mention The Shape of Water. OK, uh, because there's a couple of sex scenes and they very much inform both the characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's the scene uh, where she fucks the fish man. Yeah. Which I don't remember being particularly explicit.
1: It's more um, implied.
0: Yeah. And it's it's pretty tender and and loving. Uh, but there's also the sex scene in that movie with the the bad guy uh Michael Shannon. Yes. Michael Shannon. There's the scene where he has sex with his wife and it's very uh rough and unloving and it just communicates everything that you need to know about him as a character and their relationship and it's such a a, a great juxtaposition to Sally Hawkins and her relationship with this supposed monster so i think both sex scenes make the movie better uh the one with michael shannon is you know quite a bit more explicit um Mm -hmm. but that was a uh an example from you know a fairly recent you know very mainstream movie
1: yeah and i mean we talked a lot about how how much that movie got away with it's just as far as like conceptual weirdness and how far it it went, you know, went all the way to the Academy Awards with, uh, you know, this whole bestiality conceit, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah.
0: So I just, I think that one is really interesting for a lot of reasons. And uh, again, I, I think it's, it is necessary to both the plot and the story uh, that she fucks a fish man.
1: <laughs> okay. My first one was uh, one that was mentioned by one of our listeners, uh, and I'm going to say and Drive, between Naomi Watts and Laura Herring. Um, it yeah, is it is exactly in the point of the movie in which everything in the movie changes, and you know, you're know you following one narrative for the majority of the movie up until this point, and you kind of are putting it together. There's a lot of loose ends, but you're like, uh, eh, it's a mystery, it'll... It'll come together. And at that point in the movie, the movie says, nope, no, it's not. (laughs) Everything you think you know about this movie, this story, and these characters goes out the window. And it's this point in which, you know, the Naomi Watts character's dream world slips away from her because she uh, breaks down the reality herself by exploring this relationship that she was in. And from that point on, the movie begins to tell us the truth about these characters, but the truth feels more like a dream than the dream. Um, so I think it is, uh, absolutely necessary for the plot. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's kind of like softcore and, and, uh, and sleazy in that David Lynchy sort of way, but done to the service of, both the literal text of what is happening to the characters in the film, but also the meta text of what is happening to, you know, women in Hollywood and et cetera, et cetera.
0: Yeah. uh, Yeah. That one I I definitely thought of, but I, I figured it would come up in the conversation without me mentioning it. So, Mm -hmm. but yeah, for all the reasons you said.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: My next one. Oh, God, I have so many that I think are are really great examples. But I'm going to pick one that, again, uh, people maybe don't think of. The first Deadpool movie, there is a pretty raunchy extended sequence. Uh, there's a sex montage between Ryan Reynolds and Marina Baccarin. Yes. Uh, and... The reason I'm bringing up this one is because, I mean, Deadpool broke all the superhero movie rules, right? It's it's crass. It's crude. It's more violent than most of the other ones. It's, uh, you know, got foul language and it has a raunchy sex scene, Um, uh, you know, among the other like toilet humor and sort of uh, 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 stuff like that. I think it serves a purpose in, A, it's a montage that shows us kind of their relationship together through sex and, again, shows us that they have this loving connection. Yeah, and it's just a pretty fun sequence set to the song Calendar Girl. And I I think it's it's necessary to show that they have a relationship beyond just the typical superhero doe-eyes. Because basically that's all it is for the rest of the movie. Uh, this is like kind of the one moment of actual humanity. And I don't know. I'm I bringing it up because, again, it's a hugely successful mainstream superhero movie.
1: Yeah, and again, not very long ago either. I mean, in the grand scheme of things. I guess it's been a handful of years now, but, um, you know, I would still consider that part of the modern film milieu. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, the next one I want to talk about There's a few different directions. I could go with this. I'm going to say the movie history of violence between Vigo Mortensen and Maria Bello. There's two sex scenes, very similar to the, what you were describing in shape of the water. Um, there's two sex scenes in the film that are sort of used as a juxtaposition point. Uh, the story centers around Vigo Mortensen, who is uh, an escaped criminal who's um, kind of living a double life. He it sort of, you know, left the past behind and started a new life in a small town as somebody else where he finds this woman that he loves and they have like this very suburban life. And then it comes to find out that he's, you know, has a past Um, and uh, the first sex scene we see between them is this kind of cutesy role play where she's in like a a cheerleader outfit and they're like well into their forties, but you know, they're it's sexy and, and it's, it's in good taste, but it also is kind of going there. You know, this is a Cronenberg film. So he's all about the body. Even though this is one of his less body horror films, um, it finds its way in there in different ways. Uh, and then the second sex scene we see between the two is after she finds out about his past and confronts him about it. And they have this kind of tussle on the stairs, a sort of fight that turns into sex. And she wants to... She wants him as his real self, not this character he's been playing his whole life. And he goes to this weird animalistic place, and you see this other side of him um, through sex. One of the most uncomfortable-looking staircases, like wooden staircases. (laughs) Um, And I I just think that juxtaposition and the way that sex is used, again, to inform story and inform the characters is uh, brilliantly done.
0: Yeah. And it, it's, it's literally like a part of the, the narrative. It's yeah. I, I have one more that I want to mention.
1: Sure. If you have any others, uh, you can rattle them off.
0: Yeah. I have one more that I want to mention in more detail though. Okay. Um, and that is uh, the Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, again, Which one? <laughs> Half of well, that movie is sex scenes. And I think that's a a part of the point of that movie Right, Uh, That movie is built on excess. Sure. It it is. That movie is an endurance test as an audience member to live this life of excess and, and craziness. So I think the, the, just the sheer amount of sex scenes are necessary. And uh, specifically the sex scene where he has sex with Margot Robbie's character and he, Uh, orgasms very quickly for somebody who's lived this life of, I mean, sure. This is kind of where he's escalating, where his life is like ramping up uh, to just the 24 seven party. But it it shows that, you know, at that point in his life, he, he kind of has a limit, a, a sexual limit, right? She's so hot that he just immediately, you know kind of can't contain contain himself uh uh and then this is again just kind of a tipping point to everything has to be sex and everything has to be drugs all the time mm. um so i think it's it's integral to the story and
1: right well I can, yeah. it kind of drives home two themes of the movie is that you know he's always chasing A high, you know, the next high, whether it's money Mm -hmm. or sex or drugs, he's always looking for to push it to the limit. Um, he leaves his, 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 his college girlfriend wife and then hooks up with Margot Robbie for the second half of the movie. And then it also kind of shows that he is powerless under her, that she Mm -hmm. controls the sexual power in that relationship and that. Absolutely ultimately, you know, foresees his downfall of chasing the next high.
0: Mm -hmm. I I mean, there's a couple of, uh, uh, you know, uh, sexual scenes between them that Mm -hmm. literally, you know, uh, illustrate that power dynamic. And uh, yeah, plus they're hot scenes.
1: Like, you know, it's, it's fun. And they're great. They have great chemistry in the movie. And I mean, there's a reason why Margot Robbie blew up after that movie
0: absolutely
1: yeah um did you have any others
0: uh yeah just a a few i want to just rattle off um brokeback mountain uh uh gone girl the notebook (laughs) (laughs) pleasantville uh there's a very specific masturbation scene um, sure that again the movie kind of doesn't work without uh, and uh, final honorable mention, oh, um, actually a couple more, Black Swan, um, very similar to what you were saying about Mulholland Drive, uh, and finally, Team America, World Police, hilarious.
1: Yeah, uh, no. Yeah, it, there's it's... a very
0: extended gratuitous sex scene between marionette puppets in that movie that was so raunchy, it got the, the movie an NC-17 rating, even though- uh, they're puppets. All right. Uh, and uh, they had they had to cut it down. um, But I still think I still think it's necessary to the the tone and to the story of that movie, which and it's a really funny visual gag.
1: Yeah. Um, I, again, we we mentioned this the last time we had our ratings conversation. If you rent the movie, uh, uh, the documentary, This Film Is Not Yet Rated, They they talked to Matt Stone about that. And he talks about how they knew ahead of time that they were going to have to cut the scene down. So they filled the scene with stuff they knew they wouldn't even want, like, you know, like <laughs> – pooping scenes and all sorts of stuff to make the scene more extreme so that they could, by the time they cut it down for the R rating, they would have all the footage they wanted. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Um, Um, Which is a great story. Um, I only have a couple more here. Uh, um, The movie Desert Hearts uh, starring uh, Helen Schaefer and Patricia Charbonneau. Um, I actually just rewatched this. Uh, cause I did not remember exactly at what point the sex scene happens and if it was a sex scene or if it just kind of fades away. it's a full on scene and a pretty pretty uh sweaty one for nineteen eighty five um but I think you know it's a it's kind of a really underrated little movie um but it kind of tells you know the the story of this uh stuffed shirt. Ivy league professor who goes and lives in Nevada to after her divorce to sort of find herself again. And she finds Patricia Charbonneau instead. Um, and, uh, you know, sort of discovers all the reasons why her marriage didn't work out. And, uh, this one's, <laughs> I don't know. It is what it is. You tell me what you think. Uh, the sex scene between Adrian Bro- Brody and the creature in splice.
0: Uh, I, I've still actually never seen Splice, but I am I am familiar with this. Uh, I thought you
1: were with us when we saw that in theater.
0: No, I, I wasn't with you guys. Mm. Um, there was a period of time when I missed, like, every movie-going experience because I was always working at the gas
1: station. Oh, okay. Well, that must have been one of them. Yeah, I mean, the movie is kind of, like, leading up to that, and you, it's a... Uh, it i mean the whole movie is this kind of like perverse frankenstein story as told as an abusive family dynamic science fiction thriller um and uh that's the point in the movie which all the cards are out on the table at that point like you know that it there is no line the movie won't cross yeah um and, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it It gets wild. I mean, from that, I mean, the whole movie's crazy, but that from that scene on especially. So, if anybody has any <laughs> opinions about any of that, um, we would love to hear it. You can always contact us at our email, uh, mcguffinpod at gmail.com, or on our social medias, uh, Twitter and Instagram, at mcguffinpod and Uh, put in your favorite scenes or what you think of ours. Tell us how uh, sick and deranged we are. (laughs) Let's go ahead and get into Alex Garland's men. And uh, yeah. Did you want to describe that one?
0: Uh, I'll do my best. So men is about uh, Jesse Buckley is playing character Harper who is uh, going on a vacation to the countryside um, to get her mind off of her ex-husband, who she was in the process of divorcing uh, when he suddenly dies. He suddenly um, jumps or falls out of uh, their flat. Uh, So she goes on this vacation to kind of deal with some shit. We don't know exactly how long this is from uh, this incident. But when she gets there, she is in this village uh, where uh, everyone has Rory Kinnear's face. Uh, So she meets this owner of the house that she's renting, um, who's played by Rory Kinnear. She goes out into the woods uh, for a walk where she stumbles upon a a naked homeless man, um, presumably homeless, a naked vagrant of some kind who follows her back home and, and tries to get into the house she's renting. She, you know, contacts the police and uh, things kind of escalate from there. Um, But yeah, all the men in the village have Rory Kinnear's face. (laughs)
1: yeah is that a spoiler is that or is that in the trailer that's in the trailer which i do think
0: is a bummer <laughs> um i think it would have been more effective and creepy had i not known that going into it but yeah uh, yeah if you've seen a trailer for it you should i mean it's pretty apparent
1: yeah and it, you know there is some question as to whether or not these men actually have rory Kinnear's face. Um, because she doesn't you know upon meeting them does not make that distinction she doesn't say oh that's weird you you all look the same um it's it seems more like a yeah it seems more like a directorial choice um than it is a a character choice because yeah she doesn't treat them as that's what's going on and as the movie goes along uh her psyche becomes less and less reliable and you know kind of this is a horror film certainly uh is p- playing around in genres such as gothic horror um you know english countryside and uh, you know manors and chapels and crosses and all of that but there's also definitely some some uh, uh yeah there's also some home invasion stuff in here and and it also uh kind of plays into sort of psycho noir psycho drama territory as well. Um
0: yeah, and and sp- and some like folk horror as well cuz there's definitely some like uh pagan imagery. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and and, and you know, and a decent amount of cronenberg worship uh going on as well. And so yeah,
0: definitely some uh body horror sequences for sure.
1: Yeah, particularly the movie The Brood, which this movie is almost kind of like a reverse-engineered version of. Um, oh, okay.
0: okay.
1: Alex Garland is a genre guy, uh, mm-hmm. and he, uh, you know, either as a writer, having worked with uh, Danny Boyle all those years doing 28 Days Later and The Beach and and um, uh, Sunshine, you know, science fiction horror stuff – uh, and then breaking out on his own with Ex Machina and Annihilation, two films I thoroughly loved. Uh, he also wrote the screenplay for Dread. You know, so he he's always kind of thinking about things in terms of genre. But he's also very interested in how genre affects story and how genre informs character. Um, and I think that's why his stuff endures more than a lot of his contemporaries. And in, w- in a way, mm-hmm. I actually feel like his his obsessions with genre and his particular mode of doing genre is almost – he was almost sort of like ahead of like – this is an A20, A24 film, but he was almost kind of ahead of that curve, like all the way back in the 28 Days Later time.
0: Yeah. Like he yeah. was
1: already kind of doing the – Prestige Horror before that was a word that people talked about. For on sure, the yeah, shoulders was- of giants for sure. He is mm-hmm. definitely like like I said at the top, he's paying homage to a lot of different stuff and if if you've seen a lot of 70s 80s horror, you know where all these influences are coming from. Um but uh but yeah, I mean it it seems like a natural fit that he sort of ended up here on his own as a director. Sure, yeah. Um, This certainly does not have the budget that Annihilation had because that movie did not do very well even though it's become something of a cult film later.
0: Um, I I knew it would too. I knew it would find its audience later.
1: Well, I I mean yes, obviously. That movie's brilliant. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe the best thing he's done. You know, and that's saying something because I like a lot of the stuff that he's done. Um, and Ex Machina is, is a great movie as well. I just recently rewatched that before this came out. And you can even kind of see a thematic through line between these three films, his directorial films, um, mm-hmm. and the way that he's kind of dealing with these themes of misogyny and, and uh, uh, systemic uh, patriarchy by way of genre.
0: And th- I mean, th- and this is definitely the most explicit with that. Sure. Um, yeah. It's like if I mean, he
1: if- <laughs> he's saying, if you didn't know from the other two movies, <laughs> let me make it even clearer.
0: Um, yeah. uh, uh, definitely obsessed with gender dynamics, for sure. Yeah. And uh, specifically, this movie is, I-, I mean, there's so many different elements of, of like you said, the um, misogyny and built in. Uh, patriarchy that he's addressing. Yeah. What did, what did you
1: think of this movie? Having said all that, um, I think it's very well directed. I think it's gorgeous to look at. I think he knows how to compose a shot. He knows how to milk a scene for tension on a genre level, it's firing in all cylinders. Um, there's some very, very tense moments, some very effective scares. Um, it's very eerie and creepy. The sound design is really cool, you know, both the the sort of organic score that's used throughout, but as well as um there's this kind of like breathing pulse in the background that runs throughout the whole film. Um, it's edited really well, both especially in terms of like, where the flashbacks come in and come out of the movie, and and you know the two diverging narratives have their uh, their points of contact. I think that's all done very well. It's it's acted wonderfully. Um, I think for all of its symbolism that's going on here, there's something about this movie that feels a little on the nose, a little bullheaded. And and at the same time um, unnecessarily vague.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that's... I think it feels similarly. Um, I feel like this movie kind of tries to dance a line between metaphor and what's literally happening and isn't yeah. always successful at that and... Because of that, it kind of left me feeling a little frustrated, because I, I, I was really liking all the moving parts, and I like what he's talking about, and like what, he's, how, what is being addressed, and and like you said, all of the those things. It's a very well put together movie, but it never, never quite clicks. With me, it never especially the third act. I was I was very much like, so what the fuck happened? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like was was this literal or I don't know? I I I was sort of left looking for more practical answers that I want that I don't usually want in a movie. But there's something about the way the way it treats metaphor that left me feeling cold.
1: Yeah, that's fair. And I think there's something you can be, that can be said about Garland's work in general that is like that. I think tonally he kind of comes from that kind of Kubrickian school of thought that, um, although I, I think he, he's very interested in him, in his character's emotions, he seems to be sort of arm's length from them, like more observa- observational. Um, even as his yeah, characters are mean, going like, through very intense emotions, he is not a a he he doesn't seem particularly empathetic with his characters, um, and but, sometimes but that works really really like, well.
0: Uh, in the case of like Annihilation and Ex Machina. Yeah. to me, that's not a bug; it's a feature.
1: Exactly. Right. I would say it, most it of the works time works really. Yeah,
0: yeah. It, it, but for this one, it it feels because this the story, the core of this story, it, it feels like the events of the like the the this is a great example of plot not necessarily equaling story, and I feel like there's some dissonance here. There there was something where. The plot and the story weren't were kind of rubbing against each other. I don't know. I maybe I would have appreciated it more had I not known they all had Rory Kinnear's face. Um,
1: I don't think that was necessary. I could... Personally, I I think you could have done this pretty much the same movie, and and I think it was one of the elements that made it kind of feel sort of on the nose. Is mm. you know this idea of like. You know, because we we see Rory Kinnear play these different male archetypes, right? So, he's this kindly paternal landlord type. He's this cop, this kind of unfeeling authoritarian. Um, he's this sexual per- deviant pervert in the woods, nude. And he's this young school bully and he is a priest, like, you know, and, and I think obviously what we're getting at here with them all sharing the same face with all of them being played by the same actor is this idea that like all of these roles in society are part of play a part in the larger systems of patriarchy and they all work together and in tandem um, knowingly or not, to disenfranchise women, particularly women's trauma, which is yeah uh, a big part of the story. Um, and it, and I kind of feel like either the actor who plays her ex, um, who is played by uh, Papa Asidu, I'm get, I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly, but um. Mm either he should have been also played by Rory Kinnear or they all should have been played by different actors and i i lean more toward that because it i just don't think you need that i think it's pretty fucking obvious what you're trying to say you don't literally need to have them all be the same person and then it also it kind of feels gimmicky and in a way that none of his other movies do i've never seen something from him like it, it comes off as this Peter Sellers performance thing and i and and i kind of i'm thinking more about that than i am the story at that point
0: yeah i mean i i exactly i i think that's one of the things that, that you know by the end i'm like okay so is it a like a literal you know shapeshifting creature uh or or has the metaphor just kind of uh uh run off the rails I I was just thinking of things too practically, and it it it, it was that decision that kind of threw me off. But I I don't necessarily dislike it. I I just I don't know. I I think
1: I wasn't was I wasn't something- as uh, I wasn't as thrown off by the what is real, what isn't stuff. I I kind of understood at a point that this is by the time we meet at least three Rory Kinnears – I was like, okay, this whole yeah. movie is working on metaphor and symbolism. That's the world we're in. So at that I point, mean, yes. I wasn't. I wasn't really trying to like figure out like, ooh, what's in her head? What isn't? Blah blah blah. Like, there's a little bit of that, but that's that's not well, essential I, to where the tension have is have coming that from. Issue,
0: except the movie makes a big deal out of a lot of like the practicality of things and. And it it keeps jumping back to this point of reality. To me, it it didn't.
1: Yeah, because a lot of the movie kind of feels like a nightmare, um, like a living nightmare. And then, but think that's necessary. Yeah, and and I think that stuff actually works really well. The surrealism is on point. Um, Yeah, and then there, but there's a certain physicality to it. That suggests that maybe it's not, and I think he's being playful. I don't even know if he if he would give you a direct answer on the what is real and what isn't stuff. Again, I wasn't bugged by that that much. I wasn't like, well, I, I,
0: and I mean, I, I, as general, I don't have a problem with that in a movie. I don't have, you know, like I am a huge David Lynch fan, and he does, you know, I mean that is all over the place. Sure. Uh, but to me this felt this felt more grounded than Lynch. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas as Lynch I'm like I'm preparing to thoroughly investigate my dream spaces. In this it, other than this sort of a, a couple decisions, it feels very grounded in reality. It feels very maybe that is intentional. Maybe that it is you know, maybe it is a uh, a part of us as men trying to understand the literal nightmare reality uh, that we create for a lot of women. Uh, uh,
1: I think it's a know, bit of a stretch. I, I I think more so it is it's just real enough that he can toy with that later on. I think you know the I think the the, the movies sense of reality becomes less and becomes less and less tethered as the uh as the tension expands and and the movie becomes more and more horrific yeah and, and we're like entering said, further and further from the literal and more and more towards her mental state
0: and i do think the the horror works like yeah know, this is a pretty freaky movie
1: yeah, I think I think, you know, viscerally the movie is doing doing all the work. I think it is I think it works pretty well other than the Rory Kinnear thing which throws me off more than I want it to. Not that he's doing yeah, a bad job at any of these. It just again just feels a little gimmicky. Yeah, I I know what you mean. I don't necessarily
0: I don't necessarily hate that it it does just like where it's you know, it's literal meaning on its sleeve uh i i I, that doesn't bother me like uh,
1: i just feel like that comes off either way like those all could have been played by different actors and i absolutely would have understood what he was getting at
0: sure uh but i don't again i don't mind him necessarily spelling that out for people i i don't mind him being aggressive
1: with that point um there is and, one and, interesting you know, thing, though. There's one other character we meet out in the countryside when she's in this manor, um, is mm-hmm. that who is not him, and it's a it's a female cop that she has a conversation with. Yeah, and that's the only time I believe because I wasn't really paying attention to the other cop extras. But uh,
0: no, yeah, everybody else has uh, has his face
1: right. I believe she's the only character that she talks to. While she's in this space, that is not him, which again kind of plays into the theme. But also, well, it's also sort well, of him okay, toying well, with the what's real and what isn't stuff.
0: What frustrates me about all of this is because I think this movie is really smart, creating an interesting and necessary, you know, conversation uh, uh, in a very, you know, great uncomfortable horror way. But we have spent far too much time talking about Rory Kinnear's face. Right. And and I I think that's what frustrates me about it, is that dominates the movie. And I guess that's what you're speaking to when you call it gimmicky. Yeah, I don't don't know.
1: It's a choice, and it was a risky one, but that is the risk of taking risky choices.
0: Yeah, and and if anything, that makes me appreciate it more, you know, I – it could have been very easy to play this safe uh and you know by not doing that i think I think this probably garnered you know more attention than it than it might have otherwise um yeah, I think that's fine. I don't know i basically, I left the movie feeling weird but not in the ways I wanted to
1: <laughs> yeah i was a like, little, I was a little underwhelmed by it- when it was all said and done now while I was watching it you know scene per scene there was there's plenty of scenes where I was like you know and I was in a totally empty theater and every once in a while I got it got me to the point where I'm like checking over my shoulder and stuff it's like I felt yeah I felt just as alone and isolated as she was in the movie like that all worked um there's some really well, then, good th- horror in this stuff in this film and and, and some really cool imagery uh, you know at the very beginning of the movie we see her you know pick an apple so it's obviously kind of drawing these these allusions to um judeo uh christian uh, uh and well it, christianity yeah, and I it, mean, its, it's role into patriarchy as well
0: well there's there's the apple there's the you know there's a literal priest uh, uh right who, there's you know, cross imagery all for-
1: over the movie
0: Yeah. But what I think is interesting is there's, you know, there's also this sort of older, uh, pagan pagan imagery that I I think that's something that I thought was really cool was, um, was the way it, it blends Christianity with, with paganism to, to make it feel like this threat is somehow, you know, much older and, and, And then we can kind of understand. And I
1: I thought that was really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought that also it might have been playing into the idea. You know, we only get one good look of this kind of pagan altar that's in this church. Um, In Mm. the front of it, we see this sort of uh, Celtic leaf face kind of thing that you see in a lot of stone carvings and such. And then on the backside, you see this more sort of feminine goddess imagery with, you know gaping orifices and such, which would later play into the body horror stuff. Um Yeah, which yeah. And I thought there was this this kind of dynamic going on, or maybe the argument that's there is this idea of like, you know, the surplanting of the the feminine pagan cultures that often kind of place fertility and 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 mm. goddesses and, and this type of stuff um over uh the Judeo-Christian thing, which is much more masculine. I yeah, thought that that's, yeah, that's could have been something a conversation that that was having, not as broadly as the other conversations in the movie, but um you know I, and the, so, the, the later the way the entity expresses itself is very interesting too. Yeah, yeah.
0: I so I mean honestly I, I have kind of this movie is kind of stuck in my head since i've seen it so mm-hmm. i appreciate that um i think perhaps it, it, you know i i might need another watch to fully appreciate it because i i do think unfortunately i the trailers kind of gave a little bit too much away for me and so i i think that might have colored my my viewing experience as well i know uh ashley she was very affected by it um <laughs> in like where, a scary uh, she, movie
1: kind of way or like a thoughtful like conversational kind of way
0: uh you know both she appreciated the metaphors maybe a, a little bit more than i did and i think that's important as well you know and i do think it's kind of interesting you know like, we've said this before but it's uh two dudes talking about this movie called men right um that you know i do think a feminine perspective on this movie is interesting and important. Um, Sure.
1: It was also written and directed by, by a guy. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that's interesting
0: as well. Like that's part of the, I mean, he's
1: obviously interested in this topic. He keeps coming back to it. You could even say as far back as, as 20 days later, this comes up a little bit. And, and um, in even the beach, uh, feminine, masculine dynamics is a big part of that story. So it is something Absolutely. he is very, very interested in. And it's kind of been in the background of his work. Um, this just seems to be his biggest thesis on the subject uh, or its most sure. explicit thesis yeah. on the subject. I also think the, um, the title is terrible. And I, 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 have a feeling like that. It was uh, a 24s choice. They have a lot of these one-syllable titles out there now. Uh, goat, yeah, lamb, pig. Yeah, I mean, I,
0: I, think it. <laughs> you know, both isn't. I, I mean, it, it definitely is very on the nose. But I also, from a marketing standpoint, I think it's, it's very <laughs> attention-getting.
1: Uh I so think it's I, almost negative negative. it's negative marketing though. I think it's it's almost so attention grabby that it's an o- it's off. Um and I it, think that's I would have went with something though. more subtle um personally. Um, you know Shadows I, of the Garden or something. I don't I don't fucking know. I, I work for a fucking movie Ooh, studio. That's, but that's bad. Yeah, I, I but I think I think, I think men it's, is it's, just a little much. And it also it's like I think it pre-primes you too much before you walk in, and you're looking for that theme from scene one. And I think that
0: was my issue with the movie, is because of all of this, I saw the movie and I was like, oh, okay. Like, I felt like I got all of that from the trailer, and that is what bums me out about it, is – is the name and the the trailer and everything lays it all out on the line to where going into the movie all that was left to surprise me were the horror elements which worked and were great but but thematically i already kind of knew everything going into this that's why i i feel like you know maybe if i see it again i might some of the things might not rub me so
1: uh, in in the same way I, I'm sure I saw the trailer a couple times. If it's a movie I want to see, and I think I've told you this before, I I kind of know how to watch trailer without watching it. Like I turn oh, off, I, do zoom, but I turn off enough of split. my brain during trailers where where I can purge it immediately from my brain. Yeah, like, but I can keep this, enough to know whether or not I want to see split. it, but.
0: They marketed the shit out of this movie. They played this trailer before just about every movie I saw for the last 3 months. I I was just like, "Come on. I I want to see the movie." And I I get that not everybody is like that. I just Yeah, I think this was a case of maybe the marketing ruined the experience a little bit for me. Um okay. So let's let's lay it out. What are you giving men?
1: This is like a strong C plus to a light B minus. I'm leaning towards B minus because oh. there's too much of it that works well for me to call it middling, but I'm also grading it against his other work. And it it's a, it's, it's kind of a low point for Garland.
0: Yes. I agree with you there. If, if I'm, grading it against his work i'm gonna grade it lower but i'm i'm gonna give this a b plus uh, because i i still think you know this is this movie swings for the fences uh it doesn't hold back on the the horror it doesn't hold back on anything and i liked it more than i didn't i I, like i said i want to see it again just so i can kind of view it with with all the stuff in my head already um but intentionally there yeah um because i did like it uh but yes i agree it's 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 not my favorite by uh garland by any means but i still think it's definitely interesting it's worth a watch and it's worth a conversation
1: yeah i i would agree and if if you are a fan you know people out there uh of movies like uh the brood i think the this and that movie are having an interesting conversation with each other because The Brood is almost like it's almost like deconstructing misogyny through through a misogynistic lens, and this movie is like almost the opposite of that, uh, but doing similar things as well as you know what movie I kept thinking about like the the English countryside the whole like dream. Narrative, like the surrealism and stuff remember that movie, we talked about the Robert Altman film Images. No, it was on shutter we talked about it, I think, maybe last year or the year before, but it reminded me a bit of that, as well as the uh the nicholas Rogue film uh don't look now.
0: Oh, I know the movie you're talking about, okay, yeah, yeah, uh I mean that's what I mean. It has definitely very folk horror uh elements to it um yeah visually it kind of reminded me uh there was that that jude law folk horror like three episode thing that that hbo did that was pretty interesting that is having similar conversations as this the third day it was only six episodes long and like it it was done in like two parts and two parts and two parts Mm -hmm. um each part kind of represented a different thing Um, but yeah, it was having a lot of similar thematic stuff and visually, I think kind of worked in a similar manner. It's worth checking out. It's a, it's a quick, quick watch.
1: Okay. Let's go ahead and move on to the streaming homework now, which was, uh, the movie Tangerine, which came out in 2015. This is written and directed by Sean Baker. Famously was shot on an iPhone. Um, there have been many since. I don't feel like that's as much of a selling point as it was at the time. I said I, th- I kind of wanted to talk about this because we're like entering into Pride Month, and this was one of the first—not the first, but of the modern era—one of the first major motion pictures to sort of center around trans characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I—I th- I feel like. The the LBGT movement, um, as of late, the battles are kind of being fought on trans territory. And so I feel like this is an important film to talk about in those terms, as well as um, kind of getting the ball rolling on a lot of this. You know, it was like this movie, and then Orange is the New Black, and a few other things that kind of happened around this time, and, um, you know, the rise of consciousness around this particular topic has um, kind of reached this cultural boiling point. Um, mm-hmm. But the story uh, takes place in Hollywood, in uh, Los Angeles. Not the the glitz and the glamorous side of Hollywood, but kind of more the back streets and the, the uh, uh, smaller communities, uh, strip malls and donut stores and you know, car washes and uh, alleyways and and the parts of Hollywood that you normally don't see in the movies Uh, with these characters. um, One played by Katana Kiki Rodriguez named Cindy and Alexandra uh, played by Maya Taylor. Uh, Cindy was just released from jail and she's been carrying on a relationship uh, through the bars With her pimp, played by James Ransone uh, Chester. And he promised her the world as soon as she's released, they're going to get married or they're going to do this or they're going to do that, whatever. But as soon as she comes out and she begins to have a conversation with her best friend, uh, Alexandra, it is revealed to Cindy that he has not been faithful. And he has, in fact, been sleeping with another prostitute who is a cis woman. Um, And this sets Cindy off on a tear. Cis white woman. Yes. (laughs) Uh, And this sets her off on a tear through these, uh, you know, uh, these West Hollywood streets, trying to find her and find him and get them together and have a conversation about it and hash it out or fight it out or whatever might happen. Um, And it really is kind of just this uh, day in the life sort of story between these characters Um, All while uh, uh, Alexandra is there for emotional support as well as to pass flyers out for her show at Hamburger Mary's in West Hollywood, um, where she's going to be doing uh, a little bit of music.
0: There's also a third character that it follows this taxi driver.
1: Oh yes, um, the uh, kind of a a a big B plot there with a with a yeah because they all kind of Armenian taxi driver together and. Um, who has a sort of fixation for trans women. And um, mm-hmm. you, it, it's it, it's actually – it's really interesting how those two stories are kind of going back and forth. And for a while, you don't really know what one has to do with the other. You think it's just kind of world building. And then eventually, yeah. they sort of dovetail. Um, but yeah, what did you think of Tangerine? And actually, the first question I want to ask before I get too far into it, how long were you thinking about the iPhone thing?
0: Uh, not very long, honestly. Um, like you know, maybe the first scene. Sure. But as soon as we, as soon as it, we get out of that donut shop and it opens to like these tracking wide shots, I mm-hmm. pretty quickly forgot about it. I mean, you know, good cinematography is good cinematography, and the cameras in our phones are insanely good. Uh, so you know it. it it just goes to show like you know you don't necessarily need a lot of fancy equipment, you just need to know how to
1: fucking frame a shot right also it should be should be noted that these are not like uh it was an iPhone six that it was shot on, but it it was not a point and click kind of thing, like there's special lenses and stuff that were bought and attached, and you know to get a wider frame and to to uh uh and obviously there's a lot of like color correction stuff that's going to happen in the post process as well.
0: It's, it's very cinematic looking. Uh, so I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't really thrown off by that. I was again, maybe the first five minutes and then, uh, pretty quickly it, it clicked out of my brain. I mean, this movie looks better than something like clerks, which was shot 20 years before on,
1: on film, on, uh,
0: Yeah, so uh, it was fine. Honestly, it was probably a lot easier for the fucking taxi scenes.
1: Oh, sure. well, all of those scenes. I mean, I don't know exactly. I've I read a little, I've, I've seen some interviews with Sean Baker and I've seen some, and I've read some stuff about this movie back when it came out. And maybe I forgot this detail, but I feel like a lot of these locations were probably not legally obtained. I feel like there was a lot of kind of like steal steal your shots going on in this. Well, movie. I
0: mean, there's a lot of like on the street stuff that yeah. like, they clearly, yeah, didn't. Uh, you know, they're not going to get necessarily permits for to walk down the sidewalk, and and they're not closing down streets for this for sure.
1: Right. Yeah. So I, I and I feel like the less of a, the smaller your crew is. And the less equipment you have to schlep around, the easier it is to do all that. And also, it kind of ends up having a stylistic uh, effect as well because there's not as much cutting because mm-hmm. you can do a lot more tracking with just holding an iPhone, even if it's on some sort of rig.
0: Yeah. and I mean, even if it's on a rig, even if it's got additional lenses, it's still an iPhone. Like, you know, that's, yeah. that's impressive.
1: It's not a Sony red or whatever.
0: Yeah, honestly, I it's still I think it's a really good looking movie. Like mm-hmm. like I said, a lot of the shots are really well done. Um there's a lot of
1: interesting camera work
0: going on, so it yeah, yeah. it really doesn't matter.
1: And visually the movie has a look. The movie it's not that the movie is dictated by the budget, although I'm sure to a certain extent that was the case, but the movie is stylistically interested outside of just what can we afford to do?
0: Absolutely. There's the, the camera is talking.
1: Yes. Well, what did, what did you think of the story?
0: I'm watching it earlier today, so I'm still kind of unpacking it. It has, I, I really liked the way these stories weaved in and out with each other. I think this movie's really effective at, f- it's really effective at making you feel like just a fly on the wall Mm. and it feels really real. And in a way that doesn't, I don't know, to me, doesn't feel uh, exploitive or cheesy. Uh, uh, It feels very, yeah, you know, because again, 20 years ago, if this movie had been made, I think everything would have felt so sort of overly dramatic and, important with a capital i and i think to me what works about this movie and what makes it feel more important is that uh you know it's just people (laughs) uh you know kind of going about their day uh you know like the way cindy and alexandra talk to each other they feel real they feel like they've been friends forever I swear to god, uh Chester felt like someone we probably would have went to high school with. Um <laughs> I think a lot of the, the people went to high driver. school
1: with a Chester.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Uh it just it felt very real to me. But again, not but not in a way that's like uncomfortable to watch. Like it I it's pretty funny. Um it's pretty
1: Yeah, that's what always strikes me, and what I think I forgot about this movie when I watched it again, is how funny the movie is. I mean, I think if I were to place this in a video store, like, what category, I'd probably put it in the comedy. So I think it is more of a comedy than it is anything else. Yeah, and, and
0: like, the way things are paced out and and done uh yeah it has a lot of really funny moments and a lot of comedic beats and you know the music is just as much a part of that if nothing else that's what i appreciated the most about it is you know this is a a trans story without being melodramatic you know what i mean and and that isn't to say that there's no drama and there's because there there is for sure and the ending is is pretty heartbreaking um but what's heartbreaking about it is kind of this betrayal of friendship not it's it's not heartbreaking due to circumstance Mm -hmm. which i think again it's it would be very easy to play these stories that way um well one of them is uh ends on a pretty dour note as far as that goes but It's not trying to exploit that fact, or at least it didn't feel that way to me.
1: What I think Sean Baker is really good at doing, um, mm -hmm. what he did really well here and also in uh, the Florida Project, which would be his next project after this, is he's really good at sort of capturing the lives of the types of people that society generally turns away from or tries not to think about. Like, like I said, things are getting better now, but you know, generally speaking, if you're walking down Hollywood Boulevard and you see a Cindy and Alexandra having conversation near the bus stop, and you see maybe the fight's gonna break out over there or something. You don't know what's going on. They're kinda loud. Uh maybe I'm gonna cross the street. And and I sure. think Sure.
0: I mean, I've I feel like I've been that the person in the donut shop who's like Please take this outside of my <laughs> store. You know,
1: right? Yeah, and, and I'm not saying that to you know downplay the their lives as characters. But what I'm saying is generally speaking, you know, these people live in a different economic strata than you ever see in movies. Um, Absolutely, and uh, and not feeling sorry for them because of it. You know, I mean it. It is yes, it is their that's reality. What I mean when the-
0: drama doesn't come from the circumstance like it's not oh look at these prostitutes poor them it's just they're they're sex workers you know they're just going about their day they're doing their job like it's it's not this thing you know and the drama comes from the character relationships it comes from yeah you know my fiance cheated on me i don't care who you are that hurt and and you want you want to deal with that hurt uh you know what i mean it it's it's not the sex it's the betrayal and right. that's what i think is interesting about this movie and what this movie communicates clearly more clearly than i think you know most when it's dealing with uh prostitution
1: there's not a like a moralistic lens to to any of it, and it, and it, it, yeah. it. I think that helps. So it doesn't feel like it's examining these lives in this sort of hermetically sealed um, observational finger waggy sort of way, you know. Or, or, or even in a, you know, it'd be very easy to kind of present this as a story. These lives and these stories in this like professorial
0: again, with this type of material in the past, it almost feels like an empathetic judgment. Like, like yes, we can see that your situation is so sad, but we're also going to, you know, but this movie's also secretly judging you for that. And this, again, this doesn't even, it's not even a blip on this movie's radar. It's just, these are the characters.
1: Yeah, it's just the world they live in. It's just incidental to the story. Um, yeah. I mean, I will say that there is there is a cliche about you know hollywood stories about trans people being prostitutes or being drug addicts and these these are sure. these are tropes that are luckily we're kind of breaking out of now um sure yeah and this movie is certainly they are both of those things but mm-hmm. i don't think that well, the uh well
0: um alexandra is not a drug addict she, she no. doesn't do any drugs
1: yeah y- that's that's true, yeah, I'm not saying like overall, but I'm just saying that that is presented in the movie as being a thing, sure, or yeah, or kind of a hyper fixation on genitalia, these kind of things that we see a lot in like prior examples of trans characters in in movies, um, these mm-hmm. are things that are still here, but this was twenty fifteen, not twenty twenty two and it is made by a straight white guy,
0: oh, I, I didn't know he was straight, I for sure. Would have I, assumed he knew.
1: I mean, he. I think he yeah. he ingratiates himself in this culture, um, very thoroughly. And I think you know, I think the fact that he's always been a low budget filmmaker and he's never had like a huge hit. You know, this was a his biggest hit at the time, and he was able to make a bigger movie with bigger stars, in uh, you know, working with Willem Dafoe in in the Florida Project. But um, you know, I've read interviews with him where people are like talking about his is the way he portrays the underclass or the people who, who are living paycheck to paycheck. And he's like, yeah, that's me. (laughs) Like I've been, you know, I've, I've been down to my last $5 as recently as last month, you know? So uh, I think, you know, the fact that he comes from, he's very open about that and that he, you know, he chooses to, work towards his passions in despite the fact is he's, he's never really monetarily gained from it um but he's also hasn't given up on it either so but but yeah i, I think that those tropes they do exist in this movie and it's it's these are the, some things we are trying to not do as much in telling trans stories but i think the fact that those things are here the movie in spite of that is Going back to the iPhone thing and how you know kinetic and close we are to the it's, I think it's less fly on the wall so much as we're just there with them. We're like, you know, we're like the quiet friend who's not talking while we're following these two.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're you're right because it, you do feel like you're a part of this world. You do it doesn't it doesn't feel it doesn't feel as distanced as like a. a a fly on the wall would be. Yeah, I I agree. It it feels like you're just hanging out.
1: Yeah, and I think in part that's a lot of the 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 use the style of the camera work. I mean, if the camera isn't moving, the characters are, and if the characters if, if you know, if the if the camera isn't following the characters somewhere, the music is moving something. Like the whole movie is just vibrating.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and it kind of, it moves at a clip too. I mean, it is like scene, 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 and the dialogue is really fast and they're talking over each other and it almost kind of feels improvised at times. It's
0: a really fun. Uh, it's, you know, it's a pretty fun movie. It's funny. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, uh, pretty fast paced. It's, it's entertaining. You know, it holds your attention. It's not, it doesn't try to, to make anything feel too
1: precious. And, and, I, and I, I mean, I think that the big emotional beats, the payoffs that that do exist, because it's not all just yucks. Um, no, it's yeah, it's it's not. Um, I think they're really well earned because of that, because because we're not thinking about it in terms of oh woe is me the whole movie or like you know it's not an addiction movie or a or you know nobody's life is ever in danger or anything like that. But you know when things when there are these bigger dramatic beats or like the 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 other shoe does drop it does kind of create a more of a jolt of tension in the story because we know the the chaos of these of the lives of everyone involved yeah and and these characters are likable
0: you know you don't want you want to see everything work out for them and and well especially because most of the 10 most of the dramatic tension comes from, you know, are these relationships going to fall apart? And clearly Cindy and and Alexandra have a lot of love for each other. And, you know, you want to see, you want to see that.
1: Yeah. You even want to see
0: resolution. You want to see, you want to see everyone come to
1: Alexandra's show at at Mary's. Yeah. Yeah. Even as exactly, sm- small sure. of a character detail as that, or or later on when they when they pick up the the uh, homewrecker, and, and then they
0: yeah.
1: they start to sort of have it becomes more of a trio instead of a uh, a duo. You even kind of root for that, you know, in a in a kind of funny way. Absolutely, like, like there is kind of a yeah. camaraderie to to everybody in the movie for sure.
0: Mm. Um,
1: it is definitely sort of a a uh, island of misfit toys kind of story yeah i i thought the movie i really liked the movie yeah Uh, i i was
0: taken out a little bit by james ransone just because i've seen him in stuff since (laughs) and yeah i didn't realize this was probably one of his first movies
1: oh he'd been in stuff before this I, he was in, um, so, he was in some, like, ho- like, I want to say he was in Sinister, wasn't he? He played a cop in that?
0: Yeah, he was in Sinister. Was that before this? Uh, by a year or two, yeah. Okay. And, yeah, he was in, it, and he's been in a lot of uh, horror stuff lately. It Where everybody else felt very authentic, he was a little more actorly. Um, sure. But, but in a way, there's that sort oh, of...
1: Go ahead. I think you're going to say what I was about to say.
0: Oh, oh, well, I was going to say that that sort of works for the character because that type of character, that type of person feels like a character, feels like they're putting on a performance, right? Like, uh, so in its, and it's, and I'm not saying he did a bad job as an actor. It's just, I literally is because I recognized his face. I was like, oh, it's that guy. You know what I mean? I think, you know, I think he's good in this as well. Like I said, he felt like someone I went to high school with, so...
1: Yeah, uh, and he's playing very against type, because we usually yeah, see also, him play, I, like, the Oshucks oh country boy in something, or, like, you know, the the cop or the, you know, some sort of, like, background shy character. And here he plays, like, you know, this weed-smoking um wanna be gangster type and he he's kind of eating it up
0: well that's a that's another thing i think is interesting is we know she's like chasing after her pimp and and again i'm i'm more used to movies where pimp is sort of a source of danger and um and exploitation and and clearly he you know he is a user and um uh, the way he manipulates the relationships around him are, are pretty apparent, but I never feel like violently threatened by him. You know what I mean? I never feel like, uh, uh, so I do appreciate that they, they also played the pimp character um, a little less stereotypical.
1: Right. It, it's, it's the reveal to his character is very interesting because he's talked about for so long before we meet him. You know, I don't even think we meet him till the third act.
0: Um, No, it's, it's, yeah, it's not till, like, kind of the end of the third act, really. Like, it's, it's. Yeah. uh, Yeah, he's, he's built up in your head for a while. And um, he kind of, the reveal to him kind of plays against a lot of, I think, it, it played against my expectations of, of what I thought this character would be. Um, In in ways that were both surprising and, I don't know, probably made it feel, again, a little more more authentic because of it.
1: Right. But you can also, yeah, because you can 100% see yourself walking into that donut shop and seeing him sitting there.
0: Like I said, I feel like I have been the person at the donut shop who's just asking everyone to stop yelling and leave.
1: (laughs) (laughs) If you were... The, the shop owner or whatever.
0: Yeah, I I've, I've had shifts like that where I'm like, please don't not
1: in here right now. <laughs> yeah, and it gets it gets pretty pretty crazy at a point, and and, and kind of like screwball comedy ish in a way.
0: It's kind of comedy of errors, like it's it's almost yeah. farcical, but done in this in, instead of a revolving door. It's you know it just kind of all revolves around uh these streets it's it's there's yeah there's they're playing with that expectation it's it's there's some fun there
1: mm. editing cassidy here i forgot to mention that next week for the streaming homework keith assigned us to watch the film copland starring sylvester salone and directed by James Mangold in, from 1997. And I believe it is on HBO Max. So if you want to participate in that, you can go ahead and watch and give us your feedback, and we'll talk about it when we review the movie next week. All right. That is that. And if anybody has anything to say, I mentioned this uh, earlier in the podcast, about any of the things we talked about on this episode or previous You can email us at mcguffinpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at mcguffinpod. We are still on Facebook. Uh, I don't do anything with it, but we are there. If you want to look up MacGuffin Podcast or The MacGuffin, Um, you'll see our uh, podcasts when they go up. If you're still a user of that website, uh, you can read my reviews that I do weekly for the Idaho State Journal by Googling Idaho State Journal Arts and Entertainment. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at V.C. Cassidy. I did return. I came back when it looked like the uh, Elon Musk thing is not going through. And I've had some banger-ass fire tweets that are going completely ignored, and I don't know if it's the algorithm that's punishing me for leaving for a bit, or if everybody... Wait,
0: you're back on Twitter? (sighs) Fuck you. (laughs) No, no, I, like, your V... I'm sorry, your VC Cassidy account?
1: Yes, I've I've literally tweeted at you a few times. This is... I'm doing my, like, Elvis 69 special, and everyone is, like, totally, you know, whatever. I Anyways. I think it's probably because you deleted your account. I didn't lose any followers though, but I and it, I, but it seems as though people are not reading or responding at the frequency they were before I left.
0: Well, I it it probably is the algorithm because your account was like deactivated, so people yeah. weren't engaging with that account as much. So it probably pops up in our feeds list. Engage. You know I. I know you've tweeted at me, but I, I hasn't really. It didn't really occur
1: to me. Anyway, like, um, you were off Twitter for like a week. Oh, it was a, it was longer than that. It was, it was closer to a month. But yeah, it looks like the Elon Musk thing is not happening. So that was the only thing that was taking me off. And as soon as that's back on the table, then I will not be on the table. And if anybody uh, wants to read the other articles and. Uh, Reviews by the McGuffin staff, they can go to mcguff.in, where you can also find the archives for this podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and a one-sentence review on iTunes or Stitcher or player.fm, Google Podcasts, Spotify. um, Also helps algorithm us to be more visible by other people who use those apps. Uh, And uh, that's all I have on my end. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Keith Foster
0: Kid, and you can follow my art account on Instagram at Sticky Note Aesthetic. Uh, I'll update shit someday. I'm also performing at Mockingbird Improv at Liberty Station in San Diego. Uh, I'm doing the show Improv vs. Standup. It performs every Saturday uh, at 9 o'clock. Um, I, I'm not there every week. It's kind of a revolving cast, but I do post uh the dates that I'm gonna be performing on my calendar on my website at KeithFosterKid.com. Um also uh there's another show that's gonna be starting up soon called Point of Passion. It's a soap opera, an improvised soap opera, and I'll be having some uh guest appearances as in that. Okay.
1: Um and that is the end of the podcast.
0: Apple from the garden? No, no, no. Mustn't do that. Forbidden fruit.
1: Bye.